I sat down to write an orderly account, most excellent Theophilus, so that you might believe, you might find the truth in all you have been taught. That's how the Gospel of Luke starts. It's not one of those readings you actually pretty much ever hear, but it is how the book starts. For that matter, it's also pretty much how Acts starts. And we are this season trying to walk through that book of Acts. Now, the question most people end up asking, of course, is who is Theophilus? Who is this person who has not one but two books, fully 20% of the New Testament dedicated to him? The short answer is we don't know. But Theophilus is this character, and there's, there's sort of two ideas for Theophilus. One is that it was a very specific person who perhaps bankrolled uh, having enough paper and enough quill and ink to write those two books. The second idea is a little more, it's a little more complex. We'll get back to it. So, we are now in the third week of Easter, and each week we have been trying to walk through Luke and Acts. This is at the instruction of our presiding bishop, Bishop Curry, who has asked all of the Episcopal Church to walk through Acts, which is a good thing because I can name that as a priest, when I went to seminary and we did introduction to the New Testament, we've spent a week on each of the Gospels. We spent almost two weeks on Romans. We spent uh, a handful of weeks on different epistles, on different letters, on all sorts of different things. When the time came for us to get to Acts, our professor said, read that this weekend, and if you have any questions, ask. It's just a history. <laughs> so I've had to do a little work on Acts. It's not a book that's particularly well known because it is, well, a history. It's one of those stories that just begins right there when Jesus ascends into heaven. You have that moment of the ascension and Jesus famously proclaims, go and baptize all the world in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit. And the disciples then do what the disciples do. They say, thank you, Jesus, and they go and hide in an upper room and lock the door. They're consistent, if nothing else, right? So hiding in the upper room, they have a moment where the Spirit comes, the doors burst open, they can each speak in different languages, and they finally get the message, it's time to go and actually tell the story of Jesus. And so they go out and tell the story. What happens next is, well, more the tricky part, because here are 11 folk just going out and telling the story of Jesus, trying to convince the world that the Messiah has come when they haven't had a chance to meet him, see him, or engage any miracles. They just have to convince them by preaching and teaching. And so they're just doing the best they can. And each time we see the disciples, they're trying to explain how this will work, and they're trying to guess as to how you build a church, a community of faith, and they're guessing and doing the best they can, but they're not, uh, they're not 100% positive. It sort of reminds me actually of a story about Albert Einstein. When he had come to America, he was already world famous. He was on the front cover of Time magazine as the person of the year back when that really used to matter a whole lot. And he was beloved. In many ways, he was that kooky, eccentric scientist that everyone in the world knew. You may not know everything, but you knew Albert Einstein. 
And so the story goes, and it's supposedly a true story, that Albert Einstein one day was riding on a train from Princeton, New Jersey, and he was sitting in his seat, and a conductor came by and said, tickets, please. At which point, Einstein reaches in his pockets and can find nothing, looks in his jacket and his waistcoat and can't find the ticket. He opens up his briefcase and starts ruffling through all the papers and can't seem to find the ticket. And the conductor goes, Dr. Einstein, it's okay. We, we all know who you are. I'm sure you bought a ticket. All will be well. And Dr. Einstein sort of mutters, yes. And the conductor kept going down, clicking tickets. And he got down to the end of the train and turned around and looked back and Einstein was on his knees, on the floor, looking under the seat, trying to find something. And the, the conductor once again said, Dr. Einstein, it's fine. Don't worry about it. You're, you're, you can stay on the train. Uh, we know who you are. To which Dr. Einstein famously replied, yes, yes, I know who I am also. I just don't know where I'm going. The disciples are in the same boat in many ways. They know who they are. They know who Jesus is, but they don't exactly know where they're going. They're trying to figure it out as best they can, and they're not really sure. Which is why ultimately reading Acts is an important thing, because it's how the church starts to figure out who it is and where it's going. They start to do that important work of figuring out how do we have this message, this magnificent message of love and hope and joy, and then communicate it so that it means something to the community. And so what we see when we start to read that book is how the community started to order itself, how it started to understand what it was to be a church, to be followers of Christ. And last week we heard the reading about how they did that, and one way is to listen to the message of the disciples. The next step is to actually give of their possessions, of their money, and to invest as a community, to come together and pool resources to care for each other in the world. In the world. And then today we have actually probably an even more important turn. Today we have Stephen and a group of folks that come up and the disciples realize they can't control all of these new people coming into the church. They can't manage all of them. And so they start to raise up other people to do the work. People who never met Jesus, people who never had a chance to hear the stories in first person, they have to take it for faith that all of this has happened. And suddenly the entire church starts to take on a different form because now it's not just the disciples who told us it's Someone told me, and I'll tell you, and it's passed on, and passed on, and passed on. The theory for Theophilus is twofold. It's, again, that idea in those opening chapters as it begins, I set down to write an orderly account, most excellent Theophilus, of all that has happened that you might know it is true. Well... Theophilus could be one person. It could be this man that once existed and they have written a book to and about. I like a different explanation a lot better. That is, Theophilus, if you translate the Greek, uh, and we translate every other line in that sentence from Greek to English, but we skip the name, Theophilus means lover of God. And so the letter 
that is the Gospel of Luke and the letter that is Acts most likely is written to each and every one of us, uh, you fellow lovers of God, you most excellent people who follow the Christ. It's written to us to help us hear again the stories that matter and are important to help us understand how we order our church, our common life, and most importantly, how a group of, let's be honest, 11 ragtag hicks from the boonies in Palestine managed to take over the largest empire in the world in 200 years. It's an extraordinary story. How did these random people from nowhere rise up and without firing a shot manage to convert an entire area of the world? And they did it by doing just a handful of things. They shared their resources, they worshiped and prayed together, listening to the stories of faith, and then they raised each other up by giving of their time and their talent and their presence. You are most excellent, Theophilus. You are God lovers, and this is the pattern for all of us as well. We are called to listen and worship. That's why we're here together today. We're called to share our resources and to give generously. And let's be clear, the disciples say, um, we'd like 100% of your earnings. I'm not expecting any of y'all to do that today. <laughs> Although if you want to, feel free. We'd, we'll, we'll make good use. But it's to give as generously as you can and then to rise up and share the stories you know of your faith, to tell those stories and to participate as a community, to go out and care for the poor and the hungry and the sick and the lost, to do all that you can in ministry to be God's hands and heart and feet in this world. My most excellent Theophilus, my friends, my fellow followers and lovers of God, this is our sacred calling. This is why the presiding bishop asked for us to talk about this, because it's important. It's not just history. It's who we are as a church. It's who we're called to be. And together, I think we can do it. I think we can have that orderly account, and we can go out and share the truth that Christ is risen, and we can change the world. Amen. Amen.